It's been a privilege really being here in Addis. African Arise has been a blessing. This is my first time being here. And I was literally blown away. I almost feel like the Queen of Sheba after she went to Solomon and then she posed a number of questions <laughs> and Solomon answered them all. The Bible says she was spellbound. The, the, the Bible says she was lost of words. That's the way I feel. Coming to Addis and seeing the quality of personnel on the continent assembled in this movement called Africa Arise Network. It is remarkable and it gives me hope for the continent of Africa. My assignment at that event was to speak on the theme, the theme is engage, and then my specific assignment was to define the moral destiny of our continent, to define our moral destiny. And in that presentation, I made a case that this theme is particularly important because a few blocks away, the African Union, the theme for this year's Heads of State Summit was on human rights, with special emphasis on you know, women's issues or women's rights. That theme of human rights deals with ethics because you cannot talk about rights without sense of obligation. Someone ought to do something. And the person who issues an ought, that command implies it is an ethical issue. So watch this. A few blocks away, the political leaders are discussing ethics. And here in the church, religious bodies are also addressing ethics. And the question is, we are to define the moral destiny of Africa. In other words, if we do our work well, it would inform what our political leaders are doing. In case you are not aware, we are facing an ethical crisis. And the crisis of ethics is not about we blatantly breaking or violating universally accepted moral standards. It has always been from the days of Adam, people have always blatantly violated God's moral values or standards. The crisis of our times rather is, for the first time in human history, we have reached a stage whereby the very existence of moral absolutes are being questioned. Let me say it differently. In the past, we knew right and wrong, and we did it anyway. We knew adultery was wrong, we did it anyway. Lying was wrong, we did it anyway, but at least we recognized it was wrong. Today, the problem is we don't even believe that there are standards that define right or wrong. In other words, we are living at a time of moral relativism. Black and white issues have been painted into shades of gray. No more standards. No more moral values, moral principles, or moral standards. What is right for me is right for me. What is right for you is right for you. This is the crisis of our times. And it is precisely at this time that God calls upon us to define Africa's moral destiny. If we do our work well, it would inform the work of our political leaders. Brothers and sisters, if we don't define this, somebody's values would be imposed upon us. It can be a political system. It can be a foreign government which will say something like, I will give you these aids provided you add this as a condition. It can be an NGO. It can be an educational system. Most of the schools that are coming up with postmodernism and things of that kind, you better understand there are no more moral absolutes. And they would be imposing it upon us from the media, through print works, 
And so we were gathered here this past week to define the moral destiny of Africa. So that if we clarify and articulate this clear enough, we can then inform the political leaders, and this is the way we can save ourselves. I made two points in that presentation. First, I made a case. Africa's greatest resources are not what is in the land, but what is on the land. Our young people. And whoever controls our young people controls what is in the land. And that's point number one. That is why there is an agenda to get our young people. Another point, our values are our greatest shield against destruction. And whoever controls your values controls what you have. And so this theme that was chosen for Africa Arise was very important. At that event, I did make a presentation under the theme Engage, defining our moral destiny. What I did at that time was I shared the story of God's leading in the work I do at grassroots youth movements. And then I proceeded to define what I consider to be Africa's moral destiny. The message then was entitled, The Gold from the Two Mountains. And I said, we need to rediscover Africa's lost currency. Today, I'll continue with part two. If there is time, I will share the story of God's leading in my personal life. And then I will explain what happens if we miss the opportunity to engage in defining our moral values. Last week, I articulated what those moral uh, standards, directions, destiny is. If we fail, what would happen? And so the message this morning is entitled, Shine Like Gold, The Consequences of embracing a counterfeit currency. You can tell I like gold. I use it. The gold from the two mountains last week. And this week, I'm talking about gold again. Well, I'm interested in gold because my country, Ghana, used to be called the Gold Coast. You can literally pick gold nuggets on a raining day in different parts of Ghana. But I choose gold for another reason. It is a very highly valuable precious metal. It is used as a symbol of various things. Wealth, prestige, purity, value, royalty, faith, etc. As a symbol of wealth, or currency, it is sometimes called the gold standard. Gold is a measure of currency. Not only that, gold is also used as a measure of time. We refer to time as, let's say, the golden jubilee. It's a reference to time, gold. It is used for enduring human relationships, marriage, we have the wedding ring, gold. It is used for human achievements and accomplishments. So we award gold medals during Olympic Games. Nobel Prizes are often emblazed in gold. The Emmy Awards, the Academy Awards, the Film Awards, gold statues. And then in religion, gold is also used as a symbol of spirituality. Sometimes the golden calf in the Old Testament, symbol of idolatry. However, in Solomon's day, gold was a symbol of God's favor and blessing. So it, Solomon had golden shields, which were used as a symbol of God's blessing. In the New Testament, gold is used as a symbol of faith that is tried. 
With gold being used at all these different levels of human engagement, it shouldn't come as a surprise then that in ethics, the Christian code of conduct is also the golden rule, which basically says, do unto others what you would have them to do unto you. And as I tried to present during the uh, Arise meeting, the golden rule sets forth our responsibility towards one another. Without the golden rule, our nations and our continent's gold are literally irrelevant because gold without the golden rule results in poverty. The reason Africa is suffering is we have the resources, but we don't have the standards, the ethical guideline by which we should distribute this. So there is corruption because people are playing by different sets of rules. So if we want to claim and use our resources effectively, we need to claim the golden rule. Gold without the golden rule results in poverty. And so the presentation I made last week, defining our moral standard in the world of relativism is, it is the responsibility of Africans to lift up the golden rule as God's, a summary of God's moral values. I mean, even if you are a pagan, even if you belong to any religion, even if you are a non-religious person, at least you can agree that we ought to do unto others what we would have them do unto us. Very simple. You don't need a PhD in ethics to know this. Having said this, our responsibility as Christians is to go a little further. With this as foundation, we follow the words of our Lord, who said, after defining the golden rule, he said, upon these hang all the laws and the prophets. So Jesus says, the golden rule I've just articulated, go back to the Old Testament scriptures and you, you understand the totality of it. And when you do, he refers us to the moral law. The Ten Commandments. And Ted Koppel says, the Ten Commandments are commandments. They are not ten suggestions. The Ten Commandments, the first four commandments define your duty to God. And the last six, your duty to man. And so the Ten Commandments can be summarized as a law of love. That's why love God with all your heart, love your fellow men, is a summary of the Ten Commandments, which are the absolute moral law to govern human conduct. In fact, the book of James refers to it as the royal law. That is the standard. And so the world is questioning the existence of moral absolutes. The Bible says we have one. Now, the point I made towards the end of that presentation was, it is Africa's heritage and our mandate to uphold these in a time when the very existence of moral absolutes are in question. Why did I say this? Because I said Africans are the people of gold. And all you have to do, remember I'm using gold as a symbol. You have to trace the history in the Bible. God gave the Ten Commandments, the moral absolutes, the norms, to who? Moses, to be passed on to Israel. Who was Moses? Moses was an African. Yes, I know he had Jewish parents. That is a fact. But remember, he was born in Egypt. You know, Obama was facing some problems because people were questioning where he was born. And in the current election cycle in the USA, you know, one of the political candidates is being questioned whether he's American or not because he wasn't born in America. Well, Moses was born in Africa. Not only that, he was adopted by African royalty. So he had the legal papers as an African. He lived 40 years in Africa, Egypt, to start with. If you live in a place for so long and with all of this, you are an African. And then, 
after he, he saw who he was and he decided to stand as an African, you know the story, he, he saw some Hebrews fighting amongst themselves, he fled. And the Bible says he fled to where? The wilderness of Midian. Where is that? That is your homework. When you do, I'll tell you the conclusion. It is Ethiopia. You go check it out. When he went to Ethiopia for another 40 years in the wilderness taking care of sheep, he married an Ethiopian woman, the Bible calls, you know, an Ethiopian woman called Zipporah. So Moses, an African, born in Egypt, married another African born in Ethiopia, Zipporah. His father-in-law was Jethro, a brilliant man who gave him ideas. Wisdom is in Africa. So God gave the law through Moses, an African, to the people of Israel. You need to remember in Bible times, Israel is not just counted as an ethnic people. It is a spiritual entity. But Israel, as an ethnic group, consisted of 12 tribes. Two of the tribes, the largest two tribes, were Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh were the children of Joseph. And Joseph married an African called Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, an African. Let's see whether I have it on the screen. Yes, Genesis 41. So Moses, sorry, Joseph, and an African gave birth to Ephraim and Manasseh. So they are half Africans. Are you following the story? The two largest tribes in Israel were half Africans. What this means is when God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, he was actually giving it to Africans also. And my point is, at a time these moral absolutes are being questioned, it is Africa's responsibility to uphold and lift this up. And then, of course, I can say when the Israel, you know, was moving out of Egypt, the Bible says they were followed by a mixed multitude. Egyptians, Africans who later on intermarried with the people of Israel. And so the Israel as a people were basically included Africans. It doesn't end there. I can take you through the Bible. You just track them down and you see Africans. Since I'm in Ethiopia, you already know the story of the Queen of Sheba. Goes to Egypt, sorry, goes to Solomon in Jerusalem. And there's a whole story, your new year and Kutatash is all based on this. Then, you pass through the prophets in the time of Jeremiah. There were people like Ebed-Melech and the rest who served in the course of the king, Africans. If you fast forward to the New Testament time, Jesus, when he was born and he was a refugee, he fled to Egypt. Africa opened its doors for our Lord Jesus Christ. Had it not been for Africa, perhaps Jesus would have died prematurely. When he was being crucified and he was carrying the cross, it was an African who came to his aid. The first Gentile to be baptized as a Christian in the New Testament was an African. The Ethiopian eunuch. What I'm trying to say is, both Old Testament and New Testament, we have an heritage and a claim to biblical Christianity. <laughs> Thus, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Africans are custodians of the gold from the two mountains. The golden rule, Jesus proclaimed it on the mount uh, of the Sermon Mountain. It is a summary of the Ten Commandments, which were also on the ten, uh, on Mount Sinai. In other words, there were two mountains. That's why I called it the gold from the two mountains. Now, last week I made that case. 
The moral law is being questioned. Moral values are being questioned. Africa has a duty to lift this up. That was last week. Now I continue. What happens if we miss the opportunity of defining this moral absolute? The message this hour is shine like gold. The consequences of embracing a counterfeit currency. Pray that the Lord will speak to your heart this morning. See, I, I had wanted to share a little bit of my story. I didn't get involved in this kind of work, but I was compelled to do so. I was at the University of Science and Technology, Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology in Ghana. My roommate was someone from Namibia, Stephen Amwama. When Ghana gained independence, the doors were open for all Africans to come to Ghana, train, go back to your country, and make a difference. My roommate was Stephen. He did electrical engineering, I did mechanical engineering. He was a recluse, no one, he didn't engage with people, he was always quiet. What was going on? Slowly, I got to know him. Actually, his name was a fake name, a false name. He was the Steve Biko of Namibia. That was the time of Swapo, where they were fighting for their independence. And many young people were involved in the struggle. Some fled, some were assassinated, some were killed, put in prison, etc., etc. And so Stephen fled to Ghana. The door was open. He enrolled at the university, but he kept engaged with what was happening in Namibia. Early in the morning, from 3, 4 a.m., he'll be listening to World News. BBC, Voice of America, Radio Deutsche Welle, etc., etc. And then he started sharing with me after he gained uh, again his trust. He said, I'm listening to this news because some of my friends who have fled to different countries, they will be interviewed by, let's say, BBC or Voice of America. And in the course of the interview, they would say something which is a coded message. And so he would pick it up in Ghana. Your friend has been arrested. This person is in jail. Flee for your life. So he that is how the fight was waged in those days. And he told me his life was in danger. And so that's why he kept to himself. Because the arms of apartheid reached all over the world. Can I press you, send hit squads to kill you? Long story short, one day I was in my room. Sorry, I went to the lectures, came back, and Stephen had been assassinated. He had been murdered in my room. That shook me. Here is a young man my age, willing for a love of nation to go into exile, live and suffer and die for his nation, what am I willing to do with my life? So I became involved in activism, student activism. We were fighting for liberation of South Africa. It was a period of you know, Soweto and the rest. Ghana mobilized and as a student activist, we were all involved. To put it a long story short, that event shook me and when I became converted, the Lord transformed it so that now I'll be doing a work similar to what Stephen did, only this time for the kingdom of God. Because the liberation they were seeking, only Christ can make a person free. If the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. True freedom, true liberation comes only in the context of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why I am doing this. That is why I'm now mobilizing grassroots young people to love the Lord, have a respect for scriptures, and a love for their continent to make a difference. And it has been my privilege coming here to Beza, coming here to Africa Arise to discover brothers and sisters with the same passion. This morning, I am coming to challenge you. It is not the typical sermon. I am not a preacher. I just give Bible studies and lectures. The message today, I'm coming to speak to your heart. Because many of us are living a life of duplicity, a life of hypocrisy, a life in which there is no substance to what it is. 
And in the message entitled, Shine Like Gold, I am going to challenge you. If you lose your gold, and if you substitute brass for gold, and you become content with brass, it is disaster. Africa can ill afford to pay that price. I'll begin with an incident that took place in Ghana. On 6 March 1957, a new African was born. Led by Kwame Nkrumah, whose picture blazed the cover of Time magazine. The world said a new African has been born. In fact, on Independence Day, Nkrumah stood there with his fellow prisoners. They were wearing prison caps because they had been thrown in jail when he became you know, prime minister. He stood there. And then he announced, he said, at long last, the battle has ended. Today, from now on, a new African is in the world. Ghana, our beloved country, is free forever. Notice his statement, a new African is in the world. This new African in the world must be totally liberated. And so Nkrumah said, our independence is meaningless unless it is linked up with the total liberation of the African continent. Ghana's independence was not in isolation. He worked actively to engage the whole continent. Together with one of your greatest statesmen, Haile Selassie, they forged a vision for a continental union. And so on May 25, 1963, right here, Kwame Nkrumah gave the opening speech, which announced the birth of a continental Africa, OAU, African Union. That is history. But another thing associated with the independence said, the new African in the world must excel in everything, excellence. And so Ghana chose for its national symbol the black star. You find it in our flag. The green, our vegetation, are Greek. The red, the people who died. The yellow, the, our natural resources. Then there is the black star. What does it mean? The black star was a political statement. It said a star can be black. You know, in the past, we are only accustomed to white stars. He said, a star can be black, black man, and a black star can shine. And so, when you go to Ghana, all our nationals, this is our independence square and area view. You see the black star over there. We have the black star gate. It's a symbol of our freedom and justice. What they were saying is, we must excel in everything. In fact, our national shipping line was called the Black Star Line. Our sports, Ghana Black Stars. Our educational, you see the star. In fact, our governance was also to be the same. We were to excel in governance. Not today, we have forgotten this. And so we have all kinds of ridiculous economic and political systems. The presidential seat in Ghana, I, I don't know whether you can see it, that is the presidential seat. It's made of gold. And you will see the black star also over there on top of it. All heads of state from Ghana have to sit on that golden seat. With the star on top, you better excel. In fact, everything Kwame Nkrumah did he excelled. He said, I'm not an African because I was born in Africa. I am an African because Africa was born in me. He was a visionary. I'm saying this, you know where I'm coming from. And the world respected him. When Nkrumah spoke, they listened. No one could take him for granted. He brought people together, black people from the Caribbean islands to America, North America, and the rest. They all converged to Ghana. A leader par excellence. And by the way, that is what I see Biza Church doing through African Arise, bringing people together. All 
his plans were of excellence. Even his marriage, Nkrumah chose not to marry a Ghanaian, not because we didn't have some good-looking people in Ghana. But Nkrumah wanted to unite the Mediterranean North with Sub-Saharan Africa. So he went to Egypt and married a woman there to unite the two. That is strategic thinking. Today you might, you see a chicken and then you want to marry a chicken. No, 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 no. <laughs> then came our sports. Nkrumah said, we must also excel in sports. Because when you excel in sports, the world will respect you. And so Nkrumah also launched what we call the African Cup of Nations. And if you read his speech, he said, Africa can ill afford to lag behind in any sphere of life. We must organize Africa's version of the European Cup. This competition will help bring African soccer into maturity and earn for our dear continent a greater respectability and recognition at a universal level. That's why we play soccer. And so we had for our national football team, the Black Star. It is a mark of our identity. We're not just playing. We are making a statement in the world for international respectability. And so the World Cup, 2006, Ghana was in Germany for the World Cup, and we were patched with the world superpower, America, and we beat them. <laughs> Suddenly, they started respecting us. Before the battle, I know I'm in the States, and you hear the radio talk show hosts, you know, uh, this tiny little country is not the size even of Illinois, and they make all noise, they are hungry, and, and then we beat them. Suddenly, when you walk as an African, they salute you. <laughs> then in 2010, we met them again in South Africa. The, the date is 2010. And they matched us together again. Once again, we beat them. <laughs> so for the first time, they started respecting Ghana and by extension, Africa. And now it was World Cup 2014. We were all heading to Brazil. Ghana had lots of hope. In fact, we have a national supporters team. We are going to Brazil. We are going to beat America for the third time. We are going to take the gold cup. That was, we really believed it. And you know the story. <laughs> we got a good squad, we thought. And then we went, and it was total disaster. We appeared with Portugal. America was still there. And we wanted to beat. We, in fact, we said, if we would lose at all, we must spank America for the third time. <laughs> and they beat us. You see, <laughs> When we were eating Ghanaian food, the Americans had sent people to Ghana to study every move of Ghanaians. They went to Europe, all Ghanaian players. They studied their moves. I mean, they put it, they have a documentary how they beat Ghana. <laughs> anyway, when Ghana Black Star lost, the Black Star, which was supposed to shine, became a dimming light. In fact, our national identity was put into crisis. It was just about the time we were going to play the Africa Cup of Nations, and Ghanaian press said, this Ghana Black Star, I mean, everyone was down. Why? We lost the gold. But Ghana's experience is the sad experience of the entire continent. We have lost the gold. The golden opportunity. And we are substituting brass for gold. And we are becoming content with brass. This is the time for us to restore and rediscover our identity. Now is the time. And this is what Africa Arise Network is attempting to do. And so in the remainder of my time, I'm going to take you to the word of God. And I'm going to present a message of warning of what happens if we lose our gold. The gold that was bequeathed to us from the two mountains. We are going to look at 
three lessons from the life of Rehoboam, who was the son of King Solomon. The account is recorded twice in the Bible, in 1 Kings chapter 14 and from verse 21 to 31, and 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. This is what the Bible says. 1 Kings 14, 21 onwards. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, in the city the Lord did choose for all Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonites. If you pause there, if you do the math, the moment Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was born, it was the time his grandfather David was alive. So he had the benefit of learning from his grandfather David. He had the advantage of learning from his father Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived. He grew up in the city of Jerusalem, the city which had the Ark of Covenant, the Holy of Holies. It had priests and prophets. If there was a man who ought to have made it in his days, it ought to have been Rehoboam. But Rehoboam did not excel. In verse 22 onwards, the Bible says, And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed. See, this is what happened. Go read the whole passage in Chronicles. For three years, he was doing well. After the third year, he got some young people to advise him. He fired all his father's advisors, went to University of Addis Ababa, got some young people to be his new, you know, 21st century equivalent advisors. And then they came and said, Mr. President, why do you follow these old rules, these moral codes of your father? You live in the 21st century, the cutting edge of our time. Fire your, your father's advisors and now live in this postmodern version of our world. I see he had no brain. He said, yeah, that makes sense. So he fired them. Now instituted some new policies. And before long, they embraced moral relativism and pluralism of truth. There is no truth. And the result, they started worshipping idols. And the Bible didn't stop there. Verse 24 says, There were even Sodomites in the land. They did according to all the nations. Homosexuality is not new. It has always been there. And so don't let anyone drive you crazy with whatever agenda. Rehoboam did it. I'm talking about contemporary issues. Because moral relativism was the order of the day, Rehoboam went wild. And so God said, I need to punish this young man. He was not going to destroy Judah, because remember the king set the tone. When the king went in one direction, everyone followed him. So God said, I'm going to send the Egyptians. He sent an Egyptian king, if you read verse uh, 25, in the fifth year of Rehoboam, God sent Shishak who was a king of Egypt, to go to Jerusalem and discipline him. And the Bible tells us, indeed, that's what Shikshak did. He went to Jerusalem. He didn't destroy Jerusalem. He didn't destroy the temple. He didn't destroy the palaces. He just simply went there, forced him to surrender, and said, give me all the gold you have. He got it all. Went to the temple, transacted, took all the gold. From the palace, took it all. And then he left. Then after this happened, the humiliated king was too proud to acknowledge, I've lost my gold. So he got some engineers to manufacture brass. That's what you find in verse 27. And the king Rehoboam made in their stead brass shields and committed it to the hands of the chief guard which kept the door of the king's palace. And so, any time there was a foreign or national event, he would ask his guards, bring the gold. Of course, it isn't gold now, it's brass. Walk confidently, pretend you have it. And so, if you read the re remainder of the passage, it was so. Now, gold has been lost, replaced by brass. That leads me to the point I'm about to make. Three lessons from Rehoboam. Number one, he lost his gold. Number two, 
He substituted brass for gold. Number three, he became content with brass. And from this, I'm coming to give some imperatives. Lesson number one, don't lose your gold. I'm speaking to you as an Ethiopian. I'm speaking to you as an African. I'm speaking to you as a Christian in the Africa Arise Network. Don't lose your gold. If you read the account, Shishak took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king's house. He took away all. He took away the shields of gold. If you want to know what the shields of gold were, all you have to do is go back to chapter 10. Chapter 10 discusses how the queen of Sheba from Ethiopia went to Solomon. And the Bible tells us when he saw the king, she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices, great quantity, precious stones. There never came such abundance uh, as those days. Verse 16 goes on to tell us, and King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each one. He made also 100 shields of hammered gold. I mean, the shields of gold that Solomon made and bequeathed unto his son Rehoboam on account of his stupidity, the Bible says he lost his gold. Lesson number one. Don't lose your gold. When I say gold, don't lose your gold of spirituality. Don't lose your gold of honesty and integrity. Don't lose your gold of self-control, of mercy, of kindness, of excellence. Don't lose it. Africa expects more from us these are the values that were bequeathed to us by the founding fathers of our nations. Don't lose the gold. But more importantly, don't lose the values in God's word. The someone on the mount, the fruit of the spirit. All of these are the values. Don't lose your gold. If that is clear, say amen. amen. That leads me to point number two. Don't substitute brass for gold. You see, if what Solomon did was bad, if he lost his gold, the next thing he did was worse. He was too proud to acknowledge, I've lost my gold. So he sent these engineers to manufacture brass, pretending it's gold. He said, tell no one I've lost the gold. Just pretend I have it. After all, brass looks like gold. It shines like gold. So it must be okay. And so he made it just like, it reminds me when I went to America. When I arrived in America, I was... I had only six dollars. Life was very hard. An American businessman sent me letters. Congratulations, you have received this special offer. We are going to give you two gold rings. It is 100% authentic Fox gold, 24 karat Fox gold. All you have to do is to send postage and claim your prize. Postage, if I worked it out, it was $30.35. I didn't have that money. We couldn't even afford toilet paper. I'll use public facilities, my wife and I, then we'll pull extra toilet roll and take it home. That's how we use it. We didn't have money. And here comes somebody, here is free gold, 100% authentic, 24 karat first gold. Take it. Well, I talked to my wife. You must know I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. In our tradition, we don't wear gold rings or things like this. So how would I convince my wife? I had a story. I said, Becky, we will take this gold, send it to Ghana, melt it, get a lot of money, and have everything. And she didn't have brains like me. She said, that's okay. So we went, coughed up money, borrowed, and we sent this. Within two weeks, the package came. It was a nice package. And then the letter said, congratulations. This is your gift. If you want your picture to be taken for advertisement purposes, fine. If not, you can keep it. I took the gold, opened it up. What I saw was not 100% gold. In fact, it wasn't even 70 or 50% gold. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even gold. It was brass. Brass? I said, wait a minute. Didn't they promise me 100% 
Fox Gold, authentic 24 karat gold. I took the letter again and read it. And for the first time, I saw a word I never saw before. 100% Fox Gold. What is this? 24 karat gold. Guaranteed, authentic Fox Gold. And then I looked at the word again. It is F-A-U-X. It is a French word. And in, Fr in French, we don't pronounce it Fox like the Americans. It is faux. Sylvie, what does faux mean? It is false. It is fake. It is fake. So they were selling me 100% fake gold. Authentic fake gold. I felt like Rehoboam. Brothers and sisters, that's where we find ourselves. We have lost our gold. And now we have fake what am I saying? Much of our life experiences today has become fake. Instead of building homes, we are now building houses. Houses are brass. Homes are gold. <laughs> Marriages are falling apart. Instead of love, you see the person giving them flowers. No, I don't need flowers. I need a little kindness, a little patience. We are substituting brass for gold. Religion is now replacing godliness. Prayer is now a substitute for genuine communion with God. We have abandoned the study of the word of God for studying devotional books and books by human authors. Entertainment has replaced true worship. Certificates are now the measure of education. Brass instead of gold. And you can illustrate it in your own life. Many of us are using brass. You know, our pastor, Pastor Z, preached a sermon during Africa, right? He called them fig leaves. Brass. Africa, don't lose your gold. Africa, don't substitute brass for gold. And Africa, don't settle for anything less than gold. That's lesson number three. You see, if it is bad losing your gold and worse substituting brass for gold, the worst part of the whole deal is a time came when Rehoboam was content with brass. Verse 28 tells us, so it was, whenever the king went on parade, you know, we have the dispatch riders, the siren, and all this presidential ride, and he said, hey, guardsmen, bring the shield, brass shields, and march confidently. Pretend that you still have the gold, and fool everyone. After all, brass looks like gold, it shines like gold, and when you are confident, people will think you have it. You see, the point is, Rehoboam came to a stage in his life when he became satisfied and content with brass. It reminds me of my niece. She was very good in school, except mathematics. I just couldn't put my head around. This girl always flanked maths. I think she got it from her mother. <laughs> I did engineering, so I love math. But one day, Jessica came from school, and she was literally dancing. She said, Daddy, guess what? I got the best grade in math. You? You don't believe me? It's true. And this girl was jumping. I said, what did you get? Get me the sheet. It was C. And I said... He said, Daddy, why are you surprised? The best student in my class got C. I got C too. You see, what she was doing is, she looked around, she got C, he got C, he got C. C is okay. C has now become the standard. Brass is now the standard. And so when someone says, sister, brother, this is brass, say, what's wrong with it? It's like I saw uh, a T-shirt at a London airport. And the person says, I am an underachiever and I am proud of it. <laughs> you see, we lie to others when we substitute brass for gold. But we lie to ourselves when we believe that brass is gold. When we lie to others pretending to be what we are not, the technical name is hypocrisy. 
But when we lie to ourselves, actually believing that we are not what we are, the technical name is duplicity, and the religious name for it is delusion. It means you are crazy. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, if we do not receive a love for truth, a time is coming when God will send a strong delusion that we will believe a lie and be damned. Ladies and gentlemen, when you come to a stage in your life when brass is perceived as gold, you are crazy. That is our plight. We have lost our gold. In every aspect of our life, I want the Holy Spirit to take the message and break it down to you. In our studies, brass has become the standard. In our relationships, brass has become the standard. In our spirituality, brass has become the standard. In every aspect of life, this is not just at the governmental level, but even at the church level. Ladies and gentlemen, the message to you, number one, don't lose your gold. Number two, don't substitute brass for gold. Number three, don't be content with anything less than gold. I'm sure there are some of us seated here today the Lord has been speaking to. You have lost your gold. Your gold of purity. Your gold of honesty. Your gold of integrity. You've lost it. You are just going through the motions. This day, I want to speak to you. If you have lost it, that is not the end of the matter. God can restore it. Say amen. He can restore it. Have you lost your gold? Jesus tells us in Revelation 3.18, Buy from me gold tried in the fire. Jesus can restore your lost gold. Whatever your life has been, he can restore it. He can fix you up. Mary Magdalene once lost her gold. She met the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus transformed her. Got her gold back. Amen? Amen? Peter lost his gold when he denied the Lord. But when he turned his face, went back to Gethsemane, repented, confessed, Christ restored him and commissioned him back. This now become a bold, fearless man. What I am saying is no matter what your life has been, even if you've lost it, pretending all these years, today you can renew it. Christ will restore it. He says, buy from me gold. How do you buy it? Very simple. It is free. Isaiah 55, 1. Ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. He that has no money, come buy and eat milk, wine, etc. without money, without price. It is a free gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. It is an act of grace alone. Ladies and gentlemen, don't lose your gold. If you've lost it, today you can find it. Pastor Mengisu, please come up front because I want you to come and speak. Pastor Z, please come up, up so This is your church. I want you to make an appeal to our people. We have lost it. From the governmental levels, you watch how our politicians do their things. They said, what is wrong with us? We make decisions, lousy decisions. At every level. And this brass mentality, the mentality of mediocrity is seeping into the church. And God has raised Africa arise. Right here in Ethiopia, the capital of the African Union... A nation which has deep roots in the Bible. So that when ambassadors, diplomats from all these nations, they are coming with moral relativism and pluralism and the rest, they would live here with the truth. And go back and be ambassadors. Africans are the custodians of the gold from the two mountains. This church is not by chance. This city is not by chance. This nation is not by chance. You are God's uniquely chosen people by providence to be custodians of the gold. Don't lose it. Don't substitute for it. 
And don't be content with anyone's fake gold. Pastor, I want you to break this down to your members. Because so many of us are living the life of hypocrisy and duplicity. We need to make that decision now. And the Lord would help us make that decision. I, I think uh, one of the greatest motivating factors for us to take a brass level Christianity up to the gold standard. I, I, I think it's just like what he said. It's not even through trying harder, but through receiving what Jesus has offered us in the person of himself. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? And I think the initiator of this gold standard is God himself. And I remember Sally was sharing one time when he looked and tried to place a value on your life. He looked around heaven and he saw the streets of gold and he said no. Then he looked at the angel Gabriel and Michael with all their shining array and he said no, 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 next. And then he saw his son. And he saw his son our Lord Jesus standing there and he looked at your life and he placed a value on your life he placed the value at the size of his own son hallelujah when you realize that change brass becomes very easy to avoid in your life when you realize that if you don't realize that you will settle for C even if you can pass with a D You'll be fine. I know all about that. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> okay, let's have Abba come on up. Uh, and he's going to close us out uh, with a word of prayer. That offer standing there, there is also another issue. A choice that we have to make this morning. This life of duplicity. This life of mediocrity. This life where willfully knowingly we choose the brass instead of the gold lifestyle we have to abandon that this morning that power over our life has to be broken the chain has to be broken and we have to go out free and i challenge you if you are playing with fire the next thing you burn yourself god's life god's desire for your life it's gold. The standard is high. The standard is high. Don't bring it down. And you say, I find it difficult. But God is saying, I'll help you. God is not looking for your ability. He is looking for your willingness. Are you willing to let God come into your life? Remove the mediocrity. Transform your life to excellence integrity so that tomorrow when you walk into the world when you walk into your office people will begin to see a difference something has happened to you something has happened in your behavior i like us to stretch our hands break that chain break that power whatever is standing between you and this gold standard in Jesus name we command it to be broken in Jesus name I break the chains and I command freedom over, over your life in the name of the Lord Jesus I speak peace freedom excellence integrity into your life into your profession that you would not if you have been meddling with corruption from today onward that would not be your standard. If you're blind, cheating, going around, womanizing, whatever comes into your, in Jesus' name, that power be broken from your life. We are in serious business. We are in serious business. God has no other mirror but you and me to reflect His glorious life. Let's go out and do it with courage and comfort because God is on our side. He is our ability. He is our strength. 
Father God, I thank you so much for the decisions that have been made this morning by all of us here in this congregation. In Jesus' name, I thank you for pinpointing those issues in our lives that have been hampering our growth. The desire that we have had to work with you have been hampered in so many different ways. But this morning, in Jesus' name, it has been arrested. The chains have been broken. The yoke has been removed. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that liberty and freedom and joy and hope and confidence be instilled in the heart and the mind of your people. And so as we go out, we go out with liberty, we go out with freedom because if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. God bless you. God bless you with peace. God bless you with courage. God bless you with hope. God bless you with joy and with discernment to find out that which is upright before God. God give you the ability to do it with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In Jesus' name, God bless you all as you go. I will see you. God bless you.